You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Retail Disrupted. I hope you enjoyed last week's conversation with Maya Knights. It was a longer format. It was around 40 minutes. And Maya kindly came onto the podcast and helped me to dissect some of the big stories in retail. I really enjoyed getting her thoughts on ChatGPT in particular. This is something that has been dominating the headlines and it's something that I have to be honest, I've struggled to get my head around. But after chatting to Maya, I could really begin to see the use cases for this kind of tech. And that's especially true in grocery, where you have this incredibly diverse customer base, you have a huge catalog of products, and the incredibly arduous task of sifting through millions of data points in order to create a more personalized offer. So it makes sense now to see why the likes of Kroger and Carrefour and Instacart, these have been among the first players in the retail space to kind of take that plunge. Now, if you missed my conversation with Maya, you can go back and listen to episode four in your own time. And please let me know what you think. I'm hoping to do one of these longer format conversations with a guest host, ideally once a month, but I'm really open and experimenting with different formats. And so I'm going to see how it goes. I really appreciate your feedback. So if you have any thoughts or ideas for the show, I want to hear from you. You can send me an email on hello at nbkretail.com. Now, speaking of guests, today I'm going to be chatting to Boris Planner. Boris is a former colleague, a friend of mine, and currently head of Consumer and Market Insight at the Trend Forecasters, WGSN. I thought Boris would be the perfect person to speak to about the big news coming out of Germany, which is that the department store chain Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof, I'm sure Boris is going to do a much better job of pronouncing that than me, (laughs) Uh, Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof is closing nearly half of its stores. Now, Boris, before we talk shop, firstly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. As I was preparing my notes for our conversation, I realized that we've actually known each other for 17 years. We used to work together at what was Planet Retail back in the day. Um, and I was in London, you were in Frankfurt. And I, I think, you know, it's it's been a while, but it's great to reconnect. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about some big news in German retail. So Boris, Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof, they are closing nearly half of their stores. Now, to me as an outsider, that sounds pretty drastic. So what do you think went wrong? Has has the writing been on the wall for a while now? Or has this come as a surprise to you? Uh, now it hasn't come to a surprise. And you are right, Natalie, closing around 52 out of 129 stores. That is pretty drastic. Yeah, that's right. And and it's a sign of crisis, both on the corporate and on the wider market level. You could even wonder if the move is drastic enough, because some argue the potential for mid-market department stores in Germany might be as low as 40. So this might not even be the last round of closures. But if we wonder what went wrong, I, I think that it's more the market than the business. It's been a long story of insolvencies and rescue attempts for uh, Galeria Karstadt-Kaufhof. 
there have been management mistakes, yes, but what we also need to see is the amount of sacrifice that employees have made to support the turnaround of the business for many years, as well as the high levels of creativity that the business has made possible on fairly low budgets. You could really argue that Galleria has done a good job in many of its departments, and I, I personally think that there are great places for discovery and inspiration in its store network and and i have some serious respect for some of the initiatives i've seen there but um then of course if not enough people feel that way you'll see a business decline mm, and I, I guess again uh, being based in london and also trying to keep tabs on what's happening with department stores around the globe i think no matter where you are, I think the fact is that department stores are losing their relevance. You know, I think at one time, the ability to buy everything under one roof was a differentiator. And now, of course, we have the internet for that. So I guess my question to you, Boris, is do you think that these closures are an isolated incident or do you think this is indicative of a wider issue? Yes, Natalie, there, there, there really is a wider issue. So here at WGSN, we do a lot of research on what is changing with the consumer. Yeah, So the way the world that we live in keeps changing and the way people live, the way they feel, they, the way they make decisions and the way they shop. And over half of the active shopper base in Germany is now digital natives. And they simply have a different way of connecting and collecting information and shopping. And over a quarter of the shopper base are now Gen Z. And it won't be long before the alphas push into the market. And they are not just digital natives, they are AI natives. So look, the question really is, Will enough people support a bricks and mortar format like a department store? Um, the company level at Galleria comes into place, uh, into play where you can see it has not managed to enter the digital world. Really, e-commerce sales are very low, almost irrelevant at the company level. So they seem to be stuck in that declining part of the market. Mm, that's really interesting because I think there are a lot of laggards. I mean, if you there's a lot of gaps on the high street here in the UK. Uh, we've lost a lot of big name brands. And I think it's clear that no one is immune to the changes facing the retail sector. And I think the department stores are the most vulnerable. They're the most sort of uh, at risk of disappearing, as, as we've seen, you yes. know, as evidenced in recent years. But um, yeah, that's that's interesting, though, to your point around younger consumers uh, wanting very different things. And I just wonder if maybe in the future, there's still a need for these department stores. You have some very successful brands here like Selfridges, like Harrods, you know, they're catering to, uh, you know, the upper end of the market. But I just wonder, you know, the, these brands, these retailers don't have a humongous store portfolio. You know, it's a handful of brands and then, of course, supported with a, a digital engagement with their shoppers, whether that's social or transactional website. So interesting points that you made for us. Um, while I have you here, can I ask you, how is retail in Germany faring right now, just more generally? So we've talked about department stores and some of the broader challenges that department stores are facing around the globe. But uh, it, if, if I'm correct here, it looks like over 40,000 retailers have closed down in Germany since 2019, since before the pandemic. How are things looking? Yeah, that's a lot. So look, especially the non-food sector and retail has had to cope with the triple shock of um, the rise of the internet and then the pandemic and now the cost of living crisis where people make pretty tough decisions on what they're still going to spend money on and what they're going to sort of think of as unnecessary. But on the whole, you know, if you look at the retail market in a, at, as a whole in Germany, things really could be worse. I'm 
I must say. Germany has a fairly resilient economy by international standards, which mm. is partly due to its comparatively robust social security network that will ease the, the power of economic shocks that keep coming around the corner. Um, the country itself, Germany, might slide into a slight recession this year, but consumer confidence is now picking up from a low level. That's been something we've been observing for several months. And with this, business confidence is increasing again as well. It won't be a strong 2023 for retailers in Germany. And there have been more insolvencies in the non-food space this month. But the big drop that some feared last year now looks unlikely. And the economy might pick up again by the summer, carried mainly by household spending. And that could be a good piece of, a good piece of news. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Boris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights. As always, it's great to hear from you and, and great to catch up. Thanks very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, we are going to stick with clothing retail for our second story now. Inditex, the company that owns Zara, as well as a number of other brands like Pull&Bear and Massimo Dutti. Well, Inditex announced some really impressive results last week. They said that sales were up 18% to 32.6 billion euros, and net profit was up 27% to 4.1 billion euros. Now, these are very strong figures, especially given the challenging backdrop. There's a couple of things I want to call out here. Now, firstly, if we look at the performance of physical stores, well, sales were up 23%. And Inditex said that was down to two reasons. Firstly, an increase in footfall. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, you you would have heard me talking about the resurgence in bricks and mortar retail and the consequent decline in e-commerce. Again, E-commerce penetration rates are in this will vary by market very much so. But the general trend is that e-commerce penetration rates are still higher than they were pre-pandemic. But there has been a serious deceleration in online sales growth, which is totally normal. We all want to get back into stores. We want to get back onto our high streets, engaging the senses and particularly in fashion retail, trying stuff on and feeling and touching the products and making a, a day out, not just a you know, click and wait for the order to turn up on our doorstep. So I think, you know, especially when with fashion retail, given that sizing is still such a barrier uh, when it comes to buying online, there's such a strong desire to get back into stores. And I think this is very much reflected in Inditex's results. Now, the second reason that Inditex said that, um, that store sales were up was down to, and this is really important, an improvement in store productivity. Now, it's really still very difficult um, to make comparisons because of the, the pandemic. But if you compare, um, if we compare it to 2021, store space actually declined by 6%. And if you look at the total number of shops, well, Inditex actually saw a decline of 10%. So a 10% decline in the number of shops, but a 23% increase in sales. Now, this is doing more with less, but not because you have to. It's because consumers want you to. This is about right-sizing your portfolio to reflect demand, to reflect the way that we shop in this 21st century. We do still shop online, but we also very much want, want stores. We just want different things from stores. And it's also about recognizing that the future is fewer, better stores. And by better, yes, I mean customer experience, but also better run stores. In episode two, I touched on uh, which retailers here in the UK are opening shops. You know, there's such 
a focus on store closures, but actually there are a lot of retailers out there and surprisingly fashion retailers that are still expanding their physical store footprint. And Inditex, again, looking at it, at it from a global perspective, Inditex definitely falls into this camp. In fact, if you look at the U.S., for example, Inditex has really ambitious plans for growth uh, where they are looking to open 30 new stores in the U.S. over the next couple of years. They're targeting cities like New York, Chicago, Miami. And it's not just about opening more stores, but bigger stores. So Inditex has said that the average space per store has already increased by 13%. So fewer, but Bigger and better stores is very much Inditex's focus at the moment. The other interesting thing that came out of the Inditex results was uh, the fact that they're sort of going against the grain by increasing their capital expenditure budget next year. So originally they were going to spend 1.1 billion euros. Now they've upped this to 1.6 billion euros. Shareholders, as you'd imagine, did not love this news. But Inditex has very much taken the view that they need to keep investing for future growth. And it's worth calling out here that a lot of that investment is going right into technology. So, for example, Inditex announced that they'd be investing in automation at some of their Spanish logistics centers as part of a bigger push to increase efficiency. They are also um, looking, if you look at e-commerce, they are launching a new size recommender and a real-time personalization model that will apparently help to facilitate search. So some really interesting and progressive things happening um, within Inditex, both in physical and digital retail. The other thing that caught my eye was this announcement uh, from Inditex that they will be Uh, later this year, introducing a new security technology in their stores, and this will eliminate the need for hard tags. Such an improvement, right, from a customer experience perspective. In fact, Inditex says that this new technology will facilitate interaction with their products and improve the purchasing process. So instead of those really annoying, hard, plasticky tags, uh, Inditex will be replacing them with chips that are sewn directly into the garments. And as such, Inditex says that this will cut checkout times by up to 50%. That's a pretty powerful stat, right? If it works. Um, I visited the Oxford Street Zara store not that long ago. And I have to say, as someone who is, I won't call myself tech savvy, but, you know, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to use my phone in store and to do some of the heavy lifting in terms of scanning and, you know, checking product reviews and that sort of thing. But I have to admit, I was a little bit intimidated by just how much technology was in this store, everything from the fitting room to the self-checkout. And I, I, it intentionally avoided the self-checkout because of these hard tags. I just, you know, I just had these visions of me leaving the store, uh, you know, alarms going or even worse, getting through the exit and realizing when I got home that I accidentally left a, a tag on my clothes and would have to go back to the store to return it. And clearly I wasn't the only one hesitating to use the self-checkout for that reason. There was one man checkout in the store and a pretty big line. And when I spoke to uh, the member of staff about the self-checkouts, you know, I was just curious asking, you know, whether or not people feel comfortable using them and how it's going. And she said, you know, exactly what I was thinking, just that people are scared to remove those hard plastic tags that are attached to the clothes. So it actually injects a little bit of friction in something that is designed to 
be a totally frictionless experience. So again, I don't I don't want to um, criticize Inditex too much. It's fantastic that they're experimenting with this technology and they are taking steps to address some of um, the perennial problems with uh, of, of shopping in stores. And if you look at their Battersea Power Station store, I mean, that store is a total goldmine for innovation. Before you even get to the store, shoppers can search online and check a store level inventory. So they can, you know, see what's in stock and reserve that for a two-hour click and collect service. They also offer a fitting room reservation service. Uh, there's tons of innovation around the checkout, uh, like we've we've already been discussing, self-checkout, but also scan and go. But something I found especially interesting about this store is that there is an automatic online returns point. So shoppers can order online and they come to the store, try their clothes on, and if they don't fit, because let's face it, oftentimes they don't, they can immediately send them back um, through postal facilities that are actually built into the store. And I think this is so interesting. And, you know, just a reminder for those of you who, you know, aren't that familiar with Zara, but they did something pretty controversial last year. And other retailers, to be fair, have followed suit. And I think, hey, fair enough. But what they did was they started charging for returns. Um, now, they don't charge for returns that are made in store. And there's a very good reason for that, because they want to get shoppers back into the stores. They they know that if they're charging to return products uh, by mail, then there's a very good chance that shoppers will instead come to the store. And once they're there, there's a very good chance of an incremental purchase. So it is it is very intentional. But I think the you know the primary decision to charge for returns is controversial. It's hard to put that genie back in the the bottle. And you know it's primarily designed, it was primarily designed, I should say, to put an end to this buy to try mentality that is absolutely plaguing the sector. But I think it is interesting that a byproduct of this decision to start charging is that shoppers will return to the stores. You know, they already are returning to the stores as we, we discussed earlier on in the this, uh, this episode, but this gives them even more of an incentive. And I think Zara is a thinking kind of two steps ahead of shoppers in that, you know, they have to manage what could potentially be a total influx of returns in stores. They've got to manage that so it doesn't impact on the customer experience. So yes, it's clear that Inditex has been an absolute trailblazer when it comes to merging physical and digital commerce. But I think if we just go back to that example um, of my experience uh, shopping in the Oxford Street store where I felt a bit unsure about how to, you know, scan the items to enter the fitting room and I, you know, didn't veer anywhere near the the self-checkouts. Um, I think, again, to be fair to Inditex, had I gone in on a different day, you know, maybe there would have been a few more staff available, then, you know, I could have potentially had a very different experience and I could have quickly converted and, you know, become a real advocate for that technology. It just shows how critical it is to have the right staff in your stores to make sure that they're comfortable with the in-store technology and that they can genuinely support your customers where needed. Yes, they need to be brand ambassadors, but they also need to be ambassadors for your tech. Now, I just want to close this episode by acknowledging that although up until relatively recently, it's primarily been the grocers focused on improving the checkout, it's really going to hit non-food retail in the coming years. 
Now, of course, the grocers had an incentive to invest early in this space. It's a totally different shopping trip, right? When we're buying groceries, it's uh, it's you know it's something that we do far more frequently. And let's face it, it's a chore, right? We don't particularly like buying groceries, so or most of us, I should say, some of us absolutely love buying groceries. <laughs> but generally speaking, the ability to get in and out as quickly as possible is incredibly attractive. Amazon Go even includes um, on their customer receipts. They even include the time that you spent in the store. But in fashion retail, it's all about the dwell time. You want to spend the time exploring, discovering new products, trying stuff on, maybe having a personal styling session. Uh, maybe you're shopping with friends and it's a social occasion. I mean, it's not always such a leisurely activity, but more often than not, I would say it is, especially in this digital era where if you really need something specific, you could just order it online. Browsing, in my view, browsing is something we still very much do in the flesh. So my point is that for non-food retailers, there's been less of an impetus to address any friction at the checkout. That said, I think regardless of what kind of shopping mode you're in, there really is nothing worse than finishing your shopping, deciding what you're going to buy, heading to the checkout, and finding a giant line. There's just nothing worse than that. It can make or break a customer's experience in your stores. So I do think that frictionless checkout within non-food retail is going to be an area to watch, especially now that Inditex is um, removing these security tags. And, you know, it should make the whole process a lot more seamless and encourage more customers to try it out. And of course, it's not just Inditex experimenting here. This is starting to trickle down within the non-food sector, and I think it will begin to spread. And when it does, it will spread like wildfire. So just last month here in the UK, we heard that M&S is trialing a similar self-service checkout option for its shoppers. Uh, they're trialing it in, I, I think it's uh, dozens of their stores. It's an experiment. You know, some shoppers are naturally going to hate it, and they're going to want that uh, human interaction. But some shoppers will absolutely love it. And again, it's about giving your customers the choice, um, giving your customers the choice on, in terms of how they shop, but also how they check out. Other retailers within non-food that are looking to address the friction at the checkout, you've got the likes of Uniqlo and uh, outside fashion, you've got, you know, Decathlon's been doing this for years. Even Ikea now is testing a scan and go option for their customers. Another option, of course, is to equip your staff with mobile POS devices so they can bust queues or check customers out on the spot. And I think we're going to see more and more retailers look to these kinds of solutions as a way to cut friction, but also to improve the overall experience for customers. I've always said that in retail, you need to either be saving your customers time or you need to be enhancing their time. But maybe looking forward, fashion retailers need to do a little bit of both. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference.